your immense love for us that we even have an opportunity to be a part of a church community that has the kind of health and strength and pillars that we just observed uh, with people like Andrew. And so we thank you. Thank you, Lord. Uh, thank you for your love. So Lord, speak to us from scripture. Give us a glimpse of your glory and your beauty and your power. And uh, may again, may your word enter deep into our hearts that uh, we may offer a gift to the world out of our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. All right, thank you. Thank you. If you have a Bible, go with me to John chapter 2 or look it up on your phone. Uh, chapter 2, 1 to 11. Our, our, our title today, we're in, we've been in a series on prayer, is called Prayer as Trusting in a Wine That Never Runs Out. That's the image I want to get to you, okay? Earthly wine always gives out, but God's wine never gives out. And that's the image I want to have before you as we get into this text. And you know, one of the images in the scriptures is given that when Jesus came uh, to earth and God became flesh and dwelt among us, the heavens opened. And he's the link between heaven and earth. Heavens come down to earth. And, and so we actually are, are here in an open heaven, it's called in scripture. And actually right before this text, Jesus refers to this uh, opened heaven. And we are under an open heaven. We have access to God through Jesus. It's really quite incredible. And so now, as we get into this text of this wedding at Cana, we, we have an opportunity to, to see and meet and encounter the living God. And uh, what, what a wonderful thing. So we're going to read uh, the text and talk about this prayer as trusting in a wine that, that never runs out. So here's the text, John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also, had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone jars for the Jewish rites of purification, holding 20, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, but then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, when we pray, most of us, we pray a prayer. We say, okay, God, you know, I, I need this. And we expect quick action. And then nothing happens. And we get frustrated. And either we stop praying altogether, we say, well, this doesn't work for me. You know, it works for you. Uh, or we get discouraged. Uh, you know, we kind of we got the God prayer thing. It's kind of like a vending machine. I pray, God delivers. Uh, but uh, it doesn't quite work like that. And you know that if you pray. I, I like the word, the, the word I want to just introduce you to is a word called buffer. Uh, you know, buffer is, is that something that prevents two things from, from hitting each other. So, for example, you think of a car. You're driving a car, 
If you're right on that other person's tailgate, there's no buffer. And you know that if they slam on the brakes, you're going to have an accident. This is what's going to happen to you. You know, that's going to be you. You're going to be, you crash. You're going on vacation, and so what do you do? You don't, you don't pack until the night before. And then you start packing, and you realize you're up late, you're stressed, you get up in the morning, you're all, you're exhausted, you forget things, you're driving the car, but you didn't leave any buffer, which would have been maybe starting a week earlier, you know? Uh, you're going into a meeting, you know, you're going to pre make a presentation, you plan to say way too many things, there's no buffer, there's no time for questions, you rush through the meeting, and you go through it. Now, a, a, a Nobel Prize winner called that the planning fallacy. And he basically found that people underestimate how long something's going to take, even if they've done it before. And so they actually did one study, it was very, they found one study of students uh, about how long it would take them to write their senior thesis. And they said the average estimate, they said, how about if everything goes great, how long will it take you? And they said 27 days. They said, how about if you have problems and things go badly, how long is that thesis going to take? They said 48 days. Well, it turned out it took everybody at least 55 days because they underestimated. They didn't, they didn't leave enough buffer. So oh, they say it's a great rule of thumb. It's whatever you plan something to take, just add 50%. And it's still probably not enough. It'll take you that long. Well, it applies to prayer because prayer needs buffer. And that's what happens in this text. Uh, God takes a lot longer than we think. And we get frustrated and start getting crazy because we're saying, where is this thing and why is it taking so long? And so actually, I preached on this text a couple of years ago, but I, there was this, this portion is about prayer. And it's so rich and so powerful and so deep, I said, someday I'm going to come back to that. Here we are, you know, doing a series on prayer. So it's wonderful. So here's what happens. There's a wedding in a small little rural town called Cana. And uh, it's interesting, it's about eight, nine miles from Nazareth. And most scholars believe that this is Nathaniel's wedding, who is in the, one, of the, one of the apostles. And, uh, and Jesus, it says Jesus was there. He got invited too. Now, I don't know how you see Jesus, but most of us have Jesus as this like severe, ascetic, recluse, kind of antibody, Gnostic, you know, hermit, you know, super religious. But you know what I'm saying? The Bible presents Jesus as he went to parties, he went to big meals, festivals, he embraced and enjoyed life. In fact, he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he was at parties so much. I, that's how I see Jesus, you know? <laughs> he is just partying away, you know, at the wedding at Cana. And, uh, and so what happens at this wedding feast, um, it, it says here that, that the wine runs out. Uh, and at that point, the mother of Jesus says to him, they have no more wine. So now understand, now Mary's being merciful and compassionate. I mean, it's a nice thing. I mean, she's, listen, now this is a small town. The town probably only has 50 to 100 people in it. So how many guests are there? Let's assume, let's assume a big number. Let's assume there's 100 guests. Now, if you're the parent, I've done one wedding for one of my daughters already. Now, if, there's, if we'd say the food runs out, that's a disaster. Okay, if you've got 150 people in a room and you don't have enough food. Well, in ancient times, wine was the symbol of celebration and joy, and the wine has run out. Basically, somebody screwed up. Somebody planned poorly. They didn't leave enough buffer. There is not enough wine. This is, if you're a parent, a disaster. Mary, very kindly and compassionately, comes over to Jesus and says, Jesus, there's no more wine. That's her prayer. There's no more wine. Now, here's, here's the principle here, first of all, as we start here. The wine always runs out. In life, earthly wine always runs out. So I, I've done many weddings, and I always tell every bride and groom beforehand, the wedding, that just so you know, 
something's gonna go wrong at the wedding. Things always go wrong at the wedding. I mean, there's, I've never done a perfect wedding where nothing ever went wrong. The wine always runs out, okay? There's no perfection. Your health, you know what your health is? The wine runs out, all right? Uh, you're gonna find that out if you haven't already. The money, have you found out yet? The money runs out. It doesn't matter how much you've got, at some point the, the wine just runs out here. You may love your job. You know what, you got a great job. But you know what, you find that it ain't perfect. There's a lot of problems here. The wine runs out there too. Every relationship, your child, your spouse, your uncle, your mom, every family, no matter how good it may be, you know what? The wine always runs out. And there's always problems, there's always struggle, there's always difficulties. Every relationship. Think of the government. I mean, government does a lot of good, but you know what? You know this, the wine runs out. The government just doesn't cut it all away. Same, I mean, I think of the United Nations. I think of the environment, our care for the environment. Political solutions that come up. I think of that what happened in this past week in Switzerland, the Davos World Economic Summit. You know, they're trying to plan out the world economy, but you know what? The wine runs out. They do not have all the answers. The economy's got a lot of problems. We're always stuck with these limits, problems, setbacks, disappointments. And so basically, the wine always runs out in life, and here it's happening in a, in a particular case at Cana. Now, the way this text is even written in the original Greek, it's, it's to make a point about the wine running out, actually, because it says it in a very matter-of-fact way. They're at a wedding, and there's a problem. Because there's always problems. And the wine runs out. The wine always runs out. And so Mary, as the mother of Jesus, she says to Jesus, you know, hey, Jesus, they have no more wine. And, uh, you know, basically, get to work, Jesus. You know, do something here. Uh, this is very embarrassing. And I don't know if she's, I, don't, I doubt she said this, but I would maybe. I said, listen, I know about how you were born, okay? I know who you are, all right, now. Now, I was at the baptism. I saw the dove. I heard the John the Baptist. I, I heard the whole thing here. Now, you just get this thing moving. This is very embarrassing right now. Now, and, and if you remember, one of Rich's sermons over the last few weeks was you know, inviting us to a life of prayer, all of us, because prayer is like the core of the Christian life. Ask, seek, knock. I mean, this, and it, it's, it's, it's an invitation from Jesus that's so enormous to come to him that you're like, yes, yes, but well, this is like the second part of that message now because what happens is, you know, Jesus says to her, uh, verse four, and Jesus says, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. I mean, it almost sounds like, you know, butt out. You know, butt out here. Uh, and we get offended by this verse, woman. Like, I mean, I'm like, you know, like, woman, like, it's your mom. It's your mom speaking now, woman. But actually, in, in, if you look at the New Testament, uh, Jesus uses that word woman very tenderly. Actually, he refer, hanging from the cross, he says, you know, woman, your son. I mean, he refers to Mary as woman right there on the cross. And he calls a Samaritan very tenderly woman, woman as well, and Mary Magdalene. So it's actually not a derogatory term like we think of it today. And, uh, and Je but Jesus makes clear, he goes, my hour's not yet come. In other words, basically, Mary, hour refers to the fact of the center of all of Christianity is, is the crucifixion, this moment of the glory of Jesus. Uh, which is going to actually open the way for all of us, and basically saying, my hour, my time is not yet coming. You know, why are you bothering me? Basically saying to her in a nice way, no. And uh, he says no to her. And, you know, it's, it's basically dark. It's darkness. That's it. Now, 
What do you do when Jesus says no to you? What do you do? And it's dark. You don't see anything. You're like, I just asked. The wine's running out. It's not even for me. It's for somebody else. And now sometimes God says no to us, and it's very obvious. It's very obvious. You know, we, you know, we say, God, I wanna, I'm going I'm to buy a lottery ticket, okay? And I need this $100 million jackpot. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not what you need. Or, or when someone angers you and upsets you at work, and you pray this simple prayer, Lord, please vaporize them. <laughs> vaporize them. And the Lord says, no, no, no. But at other times, it's, it's when we ask the Lord for something that's a very good thing, or it appears to be a very good thing, and, 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 he, and he basically says no. You know, it could be something as simple as you want to get into a special high school, or a special college, or a special graduate program, and, uh, and, and like, you don't get in. And it's like darkness, you know? And, or, or, you know, you're single and you like to date, uh, and uh, you like to meet someone and, and like nothing's happening. It's like a no, you know? Or, or again, you've got children or a spouse or an employer who's just not changing. You're saying, oh God, touch their heart, touch their heart, touch their heart, and like, like nothing. It's like darkness, you know? And, and, uh, or you've got a friend or, or a relative with mental illness, uh, and you say, Lord, can, you just, I know, Lord, you can do it in a moment. I, Lord, you can just say the word, it's done, and, and like nothing. And again, we can, we can just play this out, right? Whether you have hepatitis B or AIDS or, or cancer or, you know, or, or, or liver's failing, whatever it might be, and you say, Lord, just, there, there's no more wine. You know, it's just running out, and nothing. Uh, I know for years, I asked God to spare me suffering as a leader. And because uh, I said, there's no need for me to, to do this because I've seen so many other leaders suffer. So I don't have to learn their lessons. I've already learned them. So as I'm, as I, when I was in Rich's role, as I'm lead pastor here, let's just, let's just skip over that. But he, he said no. It was a terrible answer, you know. And, uh, and, and I've always wanted, I remember, you know, early on I wanted a mentor. Like, but I wanted a mentor. So I needed so much help. I needed enormous help. I didn't know what I was doing. And I said, God, just send me someone who could be there all the time, you know, because I just, I need a lot of, send me someone who's an incredible mentor, you know. And like, no. It's like, I mean, I got, I got, the Lord sent little people, you know, people along the way, bits and pieces, but it never happened the way I asked them to. I said, there's no more wine here. I don't know what I'm doing. Send somebody. Like, now. No. You know, and I'm hanging there, you know. And, and uh, again, I can go on. You know, you have a dream for your life and a ministry maybe or a dream for a business or a dream for something. And, 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 and it's like, Instead of flourishing, it actually fails. You're like, oh my gosh. Or if you're like me, I just read the newspaper yesterday. I'm reading about the Ukraine and the Russians are doing there. And I'm, you know, I'm reading about you know, West Africa again, the Ebola crisis. And, and, and we were in this big seminar yesterday about racism it, it, you know, and, and healing that. And then the Mideast. I'm like, oh God, the wine's running out politically. Like, Lord, do something. You know? and, and again, we can just go on. My, broken relationships and you can't fix it. You, Lord, come on, Lord, the wine's running out in this relationship. Just fix it, Lord. And you get the blank screen. So the choice is, what do you do? Now, where's the wine running out in your life right now? And the question is, what are you doing? Now, many folks just despair and just, just throw up their hands and are so discouraged, they stop praying. Um, why pray? It doesn't work. It works for you. It doesn't work for me. Uh, and and you know, just don't have a prayer life anymore and just kind of go their own way. Uh, some people get very angry at God. So, so the question is, how do you, you know, and I respond. Now, now here's Mary. You know, Mary, uh, her response is so amazing. This, this, her, her response um, 
when the wine is running out, is meant to teach us about prayer. Because when Jesus says, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. Now, his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, again, there's a, I try to imagine this. Now, every time I read this verse, when he says, she says, do whatever he tells you. I, now, my wife says this is a little bit sacrilegious, but I think of Medea. <laughs> and I think of Jesus saying something like, Mary saying, you, you just do whatever he tells you because this thing is going to get done right now. That's one way to approach it. Or maybe, now again, we're, we're 73 nations here, so it's a, good, it's a good multicultural moment. If she was an Italian mother, like my mother, she would say, now you do this or I'll kill you. Okay. But we have a number of Jewish believers here, and now that culture does it a little bit differently. The mother would say it's something like this. That they're much more clever. They say, you do this or I'll kill myself. Yeah. A little guilt in there, too. But you see, what Mary, what, what, um, what, what Mary says, you know, do whatever he tells you, what's happening is, is Mary actually just, she trusts Jesus. She doesn't know what's going on, but she's not resentful. She's not angry. She doesn't quit on Jesus. She's not bitter. She's, she's very, actually, she's very peaceful before what appears to be a no. And she teaches us that prayer is trusting his wine never runs out. She's, she's trusting that his wine never runs out. And so Martin Luther actually had a, had a great, in the 1500s, and, and he saw this as one of the core passages of all of the New Testament about what, is, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus. And here's what he wrote about this passage. He goes, Jesus turns away the humble request of his mother and now observe the great faith. What has it to rely on? Absolutely nothing. All is darkness. However unkind he appears, she does not interpret it as anger. She still expects of him nothing but kindness. She is certain that he will be gracious, even though she does not feel it. I love that. She's certain of that, and she simply trusts, and she says to the servant, just do whatever he tells you to do. It's amazing. You know, I think Mary understands all those scriptures that's, that talk about how, you know, God's ways are so much higher than our ways, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And you know, I think of Deuteronomy 29, 29. It's a very important verse to meditate on and memorize uh, because it says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. In other words, we know a little bit. Like, we know, like, you know, from revelation of scripture. We know a little bit as we see life from our little perspective, but there is a vast, there's galaxies, a whole universe out there that we don't know. And basically, the secret things belong to God. Do you understand? It, it did belong to him. We just, we have no idea. It's like trying to tell a two-year-old about the mortgage, about the finance, about the buying the Elks Lodge, about the church, about the board. The kid's two years old. I mean, you're trying to explain something. It's, it's beyond them. The gap between us and God is almost infinite. And so the thought that your brain can contain what God is doing or mine, do you understand? This hits to the very core of what Christianity is, and it's basically trusting. That's why Paul says in Romans 11, 33, he talks about God's ways and the way God's working in history, and he goes, Lord, your paths are beyond 
tracing out. Even tracing it, like on a paper, he goes, even tracing what you're doing is so big that I can't even trace it. It's that much larger than me. And what Mary does is she stays with Jesus. She sticks with Jesus. She remains with Jesus. She abides in Jesus even though she doesn't know what's going on. She has no idea, but she trusts that he's good. He's kind. He's gracious, and she stays with him. And it really takes us to the heart of not just the Gospel of John, but the whole New Testament is an invitation to believe. And the word believe is the word to trust. And it's not like you do it once and it's over. It's a life of trust. And in John 6, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? And you're thinking, okay, feed the poor, you know, pray for the sick, make disciples of all nations, and all that stuff, build a church. And he goes, let me tell you, this is the work of God. There's only one work of God because everything flows out of this. This is the work of God to trust in the one he has sent. That's it. The essence of prayer, the essence of the Christian life is simply, and that word believing is first I'm receiving. In other words, it's not like, we don't, it's not saying believe deeply, believe sincerely, believe totally. It's just saying it's so simple, a child can do it. It's, it's basically trust. That's it. Just, just a little bit you've got, it's enough. The mustard seed's enough. Just, just trust. And it's not you performing a good work. It's receiving what he's done. It's, it's just, and so Mary just, okay, Jesus appears to say no. She goes, okay. She trusts, do whatever he tells you to do. That's her prayer life. And, it, it, and she sticks. It's amazing. Do whatever he tells you because Jesus' wine never runs out. Now, I want you to catch what happens in the rest of the passage. And I, you know, remember, what he does, so, so he, the, the servants that are there, Mary said, that Jesus said to the servants, go fill up these stone jars that are, with water. There's nothing in the stone jars. It's something like 120 to 180 gallons. They're all filled with water. And then Jesus says, okay, now, you know, fill them up now. Take out the, the water or take out, a, you know, a flask and bring it to the chief steward. It's turned to wine. And, and now, what, what's so incredible about this text is, and then the chief steward's like, what is this? Is wine? This is the best wine of all, and where to come from, and, and it's changed to wine. And because what Jesus is doing here, he's revealing something so much bigger than Mary could ever have comprehended. She could ever, ever have imagined. Do you understand that the, the, the Messiah, when he comes, in the Old Testament, it says over and over again that when the Messiah comes, wine is going to flow in abundance. It's going to flow freely. It'll drip from the mountains and the hills. And so this is the first miracle Jesus does, and it says he revealed his glory. Because he didn't just change a little bit of wine, everybody gets a sip. Let's say, let's say there's 100 people at the wedding. He makes the equivalent of 750, 800 bottles of wine. There's only 50, 100 people in the audience. What's he doing? Good wedding. <laughs> and if you're a wine person, I mean, some serious wine, the best wine out there. Because he's making a point about the fact of when he comes, it's not just a little bit. It's, 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 it's overwhelming joy. It's overwhelming love. It's overwhelming abundance. And he takes a little bit we give him that's ordinary and seems like so insignificant, and he makes it super. He makes it extraordinary. He takes your life a little bit, and he does something you've never dreamed of that's so outside the box and so unexpected. But prayer is trusting that the wine runs out in the world, but his wine never runs out. It'll be flowing and flowing and flowing. And so we have a deep privilege. Prayer is this. 
We have access to the winemaker. We have living contact with Jesus. Now, you may not know what's going on. Thank God. But we trust in Jesus even when the wine on earth is failing and running out. And prayer is we come to him, and even though we don't know what he's doing, we trust him. And we do whatever he tells us to do. That means, I, I, you know, many of us, here's how we pray. We pray for something we don't get it. You know what we say? I'm not obeying you anymore. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. You come, I, you do first, I do second. We will not, you want me to serve? No, 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 no. Now, you want me to give? No, no, no. Be a small group leader? Sing in the choir? No, no. You answer the prayer, then we'll talk. <laughs> There's a lot of that going on out there. We're not trusting. We got a very, very clear way of operating. Many of you know the author, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. He's written a number of best-selling books like Blink and Tipping Point and Outliers and um, a David and Goliath, I think it was a recent one. And uh, he had an interview recently, and he was talking about how he, re how he rediscovered faith. He was actually raised, apparently, in a Mennonite Christian home, but he left it. Um, but he actually became a Christian recently. So in his interview, here's what he says. He goes, I was visiting a couple from Canada who had lost their teenage daughter to a sexual predator. After the largest manhunt in that city's history, the police found her body in a shed, frozen, with her hands and feet bound. At a news conference after the funeral, the father said this, we would like to know who the person or persons are who did this so we could share, hopefully, a love that seems to be missing in these people's lives. The mother added, and this is what really got him, the mother said, I can't say at this point I forgive this person. We have all done something dreadful in our lives, or at least felt the urge to. And he said it was when she, and she made an emphasis on the point, I can't say at this point I forgive this person. That's what so gripped him. And he, he said, the response of this couple, so different from a normal response of rage and revenge, something happened to me in that garden at that press conference. It's one thing to read a history book about people empowered by their faith. It's quite another to meet an otherwise ordinary person in the backyard of a very ordinary house who, has ma who have managed to do something extraordinary. Their daughter was murdered, and the one thing they did was stand up at a press conference and talk about the path to forgiveness. I've seen something now, and I will never be the same. Now, again, I sure don't know the big picture of what God is doing, and neither do you. But God is doing something so big in that little wedding at Cana when the wine runs out. And when Mary comes and makes that prayer, they have no more wine. Mary could never have imagined there would be a glimpse of the glory of God that would come out of that, that we'd be talking about thousands of years later. It's so huge and staggering, it's tough, very tough to take in. And, but she doesn't get frustrated and grab things in her own hands. She says they have no more wine, and then her response is, when it appears to be no, do whatever he tells you. She obeys, okay, and, and she goes forward. Most of us, we are like a Mack truck going through life. We are barreling through at top speed. 
because we're running this world and it's gonna go our way and somehow God, out of love for you and love for me, he's gonna stop you if you'll let him. And he wants to tender, ten, you know, tenderize your heart so you actually learn to trust him. But the problem is for many of us, what happens is we get crazy when he says no or we don't get what we think we, we need right now. We start building our own Tower of Babel. We start running our own lives without God. I'll make it happen, all right, you know? And, and we start building as if God isn't even around. We believe in him intellectually, but it's not in us. And we're building our own lives. Whether it's decisions you're making for your future, the way you build your family, the way you do your sexuality, the way you handle your money, the way you're making decisions in your life going forward. You're saying, you know what? I don't know where he is. I gotta build myself. Now, I'm not saying we don't look for a job if we don't have a job. But there's a way we look for a job where we're trusting him. There's a way we operate in life. We still have goals and make plans, but we do it differently than everybody else because we're trusting in a wine that never runs out. We understand life is much bigger than we see. Thank God you're not running the world. Let me tell you something. If you were running the world, I'd want to get a ticket on that spaceship and go to another planet because you see so limited, and yet you think you know what's going on. And one of, there's probably no other way we can grow in maturity but that God says no to us. God's world is much larger than we ever imagined. If you can see this text, that prayer is trusting in a wine that never runs out, let me tell you something. You can go through crises, disappointments, setbacks in life. You can hit walls. They will never destroy you. You'll emerge and have a hope and a certainty and a joy and a love and a gift to give the world through it all if you'll stick with Jesus and remain with him and listen to what he asks you to do when you do it. And you'll find out that something amazing happens. That's, you'll say, oh my God. But it's, it's, it's a glory of Jesus that will come in and through you that you never dreamed. Let me close this little story. Uh, two weeks ago, I was at a, a conference with uh, about 30 to 40 African-American bishops. And we were talking about emotional and spirituality for two days. And at one point, uh, we, we did this uh, study that's part of the emotional and the spirituality course that we do here called Journey Through the Wall. And as we got to this, how we all hit walls in life and get stuck, this one bishop stands up and he says, you know what? He's saying to the whole group and to me, he goes, I live at the wall. Because, you know, walls are like real crises, you know, betrayals and bankruptcies and deaths and divorces, those kinds of things. And he goes, he goes I, my whole life is at the wall. Being African-American in, in, in America, my, my whole life is one of rejection, going to the bank, the real estate, auto lawns, I'm suspect in stores, you know, and he goes, I'm numb to it. And so, you know, big discussion broke out. Now you understand, like, I'm the only white person in the room, so I'm just like, you know, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm very cool here. I'm just like letting them go back and forth, you know. But after they were all done, and one of the, one of the other bishops clarified to him about the nature of a wall, you know, that it's, it's more than just suffering, okay? It's larger, it's, it's significant moments in life where we're really at a crossroads and we're making a decision whether we're gonna trust God or we're gonna quit altogether. And it comes to every one of us in this room. But I remember that moment, a, 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 a passage that comes out of John of the Cross's Dark Night of the Soul, which is written in the 1500s. It's the classic work on when, when God seems to be saying nothing, when there's darkness, when there's, no, when there's a no. And he says this, he says, all of us go through basically dark nights of the soul, every, every follower of Jesus. It's the way that God grows us and matures us. But he says there are certain people, and he goes, there are few, that for some reason, God takes them through a violent dark night. 
For some reason, they go through a level of suffering that you wonder, they wonder if they're even going to live. But he goes, for those few who remain with Jesus and stick with Jesus through that dark night, even the violent ones, he goes, God has something for you that's extraordinary, that can only come in the revelation of those sufferings. And you want to receive that from God and look for the revelation of, of him that's going to come out of that for you, for those around you, and the world. Because you've been entrusted with this for the glory of God. Now, it's not a message we all want to hear. But I, I tell you, it changed the whole room. Because you understand, some of you are in, some of you are in that category. You've had some violent things almost happen to you. You're like, oh my God, I don't even know make it, make it through it. You want to hear this, God loves you. He actually loves you. And he's, he's inviting you to stay with him. To stick with him when you feel nothing. Anybody can stick with God when you're feeling everything. It's another thing to remain with Jesus when you feel nothing. And you're just trusting that he is good and he's gracious and he's kind. And that's the brilliance here of Mary in this passage. So I want to invite the worship team to come on forward. Because the essence of prayer is trusting that the wine never runs out. Stay with him. So let's do this as we close. Um, I, want, I want to invite you to, to, um, to, let's do the passage as the worship team comes. Uh, and, you know, body postures are significant. And I'm going to invite us all to ask the question, where is the wine running out in your life today? Do you all have at least one? Some of you may have five, ten. So I want you to just get comfortable. I may put your things down for a moment. Now, we often say, you know, open your hands up like this. But a clenched fist is significant. Let me, get the, let me get up here. You see, when you have a clenched fist or you're like this, that's a, that's a body posture communicating something about the fact of, uh, no, 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 I'm not. See, tr trusting or believing is to receive. Letting Jesus have access into the place where you have no wine. That, that's a posture. It's not so much words as much it's trusting and receiving and letting Jesus in and so I'm going to invite you to, instead of having, right now, say you clench your fist like this. You look at your fists. That's a clenched fist. No, God, you're not getting in here. I'm upset with you. I'm not, I'm not sure I want to talk to you right now. I'm going to invite us all, because this is the essence of prayer, is trusting the wine never runs out. I'm going to invite you, just go like this and look at your hands for a moment. Just open like that. All right, now just close our eyes. Take a deep breath. Now, wherever the wine is running out in your life, job, relationships, family, money, circumstances, health, say, Lord, I open this up to you. And Lord, there's no more wine in this situation. But Lord, I trust you and your wine that never runs out. Give me the grace to remain and stay with you, Lord. Give me the power of the Holy Spirit to stay in this place of simple trusting. And so, Lord, take all of our wine running out situations and we invite you, Lord, to do the unexpected, the extraordinary, the abundant, something beyond 
anything we've ever dreamed of, that which is outside the box, and we offer ourselves and our situations to you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's all stand, everybody. table to your right and invite you to participate in that. I want the prayer teams come on forward here as we close. And again, I, if you're here today and you have just lost that connection with Jesus, uh, maybe you never had one, never got started on one. I mean, he's everything you've ever looked for. He's the wine actually you're longing for in life. He is that love. He's the life that your whole life you've been searching for. So I, we want to invite you to come forward uh, and, and, and surrender yourself to Jesus. But maybe over time, you, you've been drinking from the wrong faucets. You're, you're a follower of Christ, but you're not connected. Please come. And, uh, and you may just, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that may be where you are. Just let them pray for you and release power of God on you to stay with him when it's difficult. All right? Open your hands up towards heaven again. Let me just speak. A, we have a little custom of speaking a blessing over you as a church when we close the service. And you just want to be a receiver, which is really a truster right now. So may, may, may the Lord's face shine upon you right now. May his power fall on you. And may he heal the wounds that hinder you from trusting anybody, including God. May the Spirit of God come in so deep with you and, and so do such a deep work in you that you might be able to trust like a child again, that you were created for that. May he untwist that which is twisted up and straighten up in front of you, in, inside of you the the ability and the grace to let go, to receive from him. And may you be so filled with the glory and the life of Jesus that you too may be filled with wonder and may catch a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. And then may you leave this place and be a blessing to those around you. So I pray blessing on you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you, everybody. Lord bless you.